Like I said, the title of my message is Barren or Bearing. I I preached a series on this title several years ago. Actually, it was in 2006. And in preparation for my return to the pulpit, I felt led to teach this series once again. It's not that I didn't have anything new because I've got a boatload of stuff that I'd love to bring to you. But through this past 12 months of this building project, through the highs and through the lows, through the struggles and the stresses of overseeing this project, through the long days and the short nights and the often no weekends at all, if there was anything that the Holy Spirit strived to teach me was that in the midst of all of it, in the midst of all of the struggles, the good days and the bad days, the days where I seemed to be overwhelmed, the days where my patience was tried, uh, where my gentleness was rocked in the midst of it all, if there was anything the Holy Spirit taught me, church, or reminded me of, is that through it all He called me to bear fruit, and fruit that lasts. Fruit that would last through the long nights, fruit, fruit that would last through, I mean, the long days and the, the short nights, fruit that would last through the, the trying times of this building project. And, and the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, was faithful. He, he empowered me to, to do the things that He called me to do or that I was appointed to do. I would be a liar or I would be amiss if I was to say, hey, there weren't times where uh, my impatience kind of revealed itself or where a lack of gentleness might have been demonstrated. But overall, I just praise God that He gave me everything that I needed to be able to get this far in this project. And the reality is, church, all through this thing called life, all through this journey that we go through each and every day, all through our marriages, all through parenthood, motherhood, fatherhood, all through uh, all of the things that, that we will experience and encounter in our life, the same holds true for each and every one of us. And that is the fact that God has called us all to bear fruit and fruit that will last through the day-to-day struggles and the storms through the ups and the downs, through the laughter, through the pain, through the the sunshine and the rain, through the failures and the frustrations that will come our way every single day. We are all called to bear fruit. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight and over the next several weeks. And that is uh, our responsibility and our duty to bring forth fruit, not just any kind of fruit, good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's our responsibility to be a right representation of Jesus Christ, church, and to bring forth the, the things that we need to. What I, what I, what Holy Spirit wants to teach us is that when life presses in against us, when life seems to squeeze us, church, or press us in, we are to bear fruit. Even when it's hard, even when the times are difficult and trying, even when the the heat is turned up, or especially when life seems to be the most difficult, it's in those times more than any times that the Holy Spirit wants us to bear fruit. And that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Tonight I want to talk to you about barren uh, or bearing, but over the next few, few weeks we're going to look at the fruits or the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, Paul said the works of the flesh are obvious. He says they are plain, they're clear, they are unmistakably seen. And then he lists them one by one. 
He lists things like sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. He mentions things like strife and jealousy and anger and wrath and more. And they are obvious, Paul said. They're easy to be seen. All you have to do is look around you. All you do is have to watch the TV for five minutes. All you got to do is go outside. All you got to do is walk into our schools or walk into our campuses and see the fruits of the flesh being manifested in our lives. Amen? They surround us each and every day and they are easy to recognize. But the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law, Paul says. Paul draws a stark contrast between the fruits of the flesh and the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, he draws a stark contrast between the ways of the world and the ways of Jesus Christ. And he calls us to bear fruit because against such fruit there is no law, he says. And what you need to understand is that what he is saying, he is saying against such character and against such lifestyle and against against such righteousness, there is no law. Paul was actually saying against those who produce such fruit in their lives, there is no law. There's no law to condemn such people. These are not the things which the law condemns. Nowhere in Scripture will you find the law condemning love or joy or peace or patience or meekness or gentleness or goodness or self-control. You see, what what the law condemns and what the law judges and what the law uh, uh, looses its lash against are the fruits of the flesh, the things that Paul outlined But when you and I demonstrate and and produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life, when we produce the fruits of righteousness in our life, guess what? There is no law that can set itself against us. There is nothing that can condemn us. There is no guilt. There is no shame. There is therefore no condemnation that can set itself against us. When you and I bear the fruit of the Spirit in our life, guess what? It frees us from judgment and it frees us from wrath. And it's exactly why God calls us to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our life. It's so that you and I can be free, free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation, free from the power of the accuser of the brethren that will try to accuse you and load you down with guilt and shame every single day. But the reality is, listen, if you demonstrate and produce nothing but the fruit of the flesh in your life, You give power to the accuser of the brethren. You give power to guilt. You give power to shame. You give power to the law that can come and condemn you for what you're doing and the lifestyle that you live. But when you bear the fruit of righteousness, when you bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life, guess what? It quiets and silences the voice of guilt, silences the voice of shame, It takes power and control over this spirit of condemnation. It allows you to sleep at night. allows you to walk through the day without this burden of condemnation upon you. I don't know about you, church, but I want to be free. I want to walk in freedom because the Bible tells me he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But the reality is unless we bear the fruit of righteousness in our life, we can't call ourselves free. 
Unless we bear the fruit of righteousness in our life, we can't call ourselves free. If you want to be free, you've got to cultivate the soil of your soul and you've got to allow the, the spirit of, or the fruits of the Spirit to be manifest in your life. The reality is unless you and I have first been buried with Christ, we can't be free. Unless you and I, like a seed, have been placed in the ground or what we might call the grave spiritually, unless you have been buried with Christ into the baptism of His death, the Bible says, you cannot rise up in newness of life. You cannot bear new fruit. You cannot produce anything heavenly. You cannot experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life unless you have been, unless you have shared in His death. Unless you have gone to the grave, unless you have gone to that place and, and taken the, the, the fruit of the flesh and put it into the ground so that you might be raised up in newness of life. You see, if you want to bear good fruit, you've got to be willing to go to the grave. If you want to bear the fruit of righteousness in your life, you better be willing to go to Golgotha's hill and be crucified with Christ so that you can be raised up in newness of life. Unless you've been buried with Christ, you cannot rise up with new fruit because unless a seed is placed in the ground, it cannot bring forth fruit. Amen? You can hold a seed in your hand as long as you want and tell it to grow. Grow, seed, grow. You can speak over it all you want. You can wave wands over it all you want. You can water it all you want, but until you place it in the ground, until you bury it, until you put it in the dirt, or what we might say, put it in the grave, it cannot come forth with fruit. You see, the reality is there's a lot of us in the house of God who aren't growing because we've never gone to the grave. There's a lot of us who aren't bearing the fruit of righteousness in our life, but all we're bearing is the fruit of the flesh because we have never been crucified with Christ. We have never gone to Golgotha's grave and we wonder why we are not producing the the ripe, rich fruit of righteousness in our life. It's because there's a step missing. You can speak the word over your life all you want. You can claim promises. You can speak all this all you want, but please listen to me. Unless you are planted in the ground with Jesus Christ, it will not bear fruit in your life. I speak promises every day and they're not coming forth. Well, guess what? It's not God's fault. It's maybe we've not dug ourselves deep enough into the ground and placed ourselves, been baptized In the death of Jesus Christ. Listen, Paul says in Romans 6, 4, We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might rise up in newness of life. If you don't go down, you won't come up. Again, it's it's similar to unless you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He's not going to lift you up. It takes humility to go to Golgotha's grave. It takes humility to go to the cross. It takes humility to take the fruit of the flesh and put it where it belongs in the grave next to Jesus Christ. And when we're willing to do that, we will bear much fruit and fruit that will last. If you have been united with Him in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection, the Bible says. Listen, if you have truly been united with Christ at the cross, if you have truly gone to the grave, 
If you have been baptized into his death, if the flesh has gone, like I said, to Golgotha's grave, it will be evidenced in your life by the fruit that we bear. So the question is, are we dead to sin and alive to Christ? Or are we alive to sin and dead to Christ instead? The question is, are we barren or are we bearing? Are we bearing evidence of His resurrection in our lives? Are we bearing the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit instead? The question tonight is, which one is obvious? The fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? When someone looks at your life, when someone looks at my life, when the world presses me in, when I'm surrounded by the, the struggles and the, 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 the trials of this world, when someone cuts me off, when someone says something wrong, when, when someone treats me in an inappropriate way, when I'm in the workplace and, and the boss uh, it gets on my case, when the wife isn't quite like she should be or the husband isn't quite like he should be or the kids are acting up, what fruit do we bear? What becomes obvious in our life. Paul said the fruits of the flesh are obvious. They're unmistakable. You cannot miss them. But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is saying that the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of righteousness should be just as obvious in our lives. Amen? We are told to bear fruit that is consistent with our repentance in Matthew 3, verse 8. In other words, Jesus was saying we are to prove by the way that we live that we have repented of our sins, that we have turned away from our sins and that we have turned to Jesus Christ instead. He is saying prove that you have done a 180 degree turn. You see, that's what repentance is. He said we are to bear fruit that is in keeping with our repentance. And repentance means that I have turned away from my sin 180 degrees and turned my face and my life and my ways and my marriage and my finances and my children and and everything about me, my future and my past and my present, and I turn it all towards Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. It turns away from the fruit of the flesh when it digs a hole and it places it in the ground and says, I am crucifying myself with Christ. I'm crucifying the old man. I'm crucifying his old ways. I'm crucifying his old desires. And we plant it in the ground at Golgotha's grave and we turn 180 degrees and march towards Jesus Christ. The problem with so many of us is that we do a 360 instead of a 180. We put it in the grave, we walk away, only to find ourselves drawn back to the very same sin. Turn our way, turn away from pornography, only to find next week we're right back. Turn away from drugs, only to find our way right back. Turn away from anger, turn away from wrath, turn away from jealousy, turn away from gossip, turn away from the filthy fruit of the flesh, only to find ourselves the next day, the next moment, the next week, right back at that same grave. That is not bearing fruit that is in keeping with our repentance. Paul was saying... That if you're going to confess yourself as a Christian, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, the fruit that you bear should be consistent with the confession that you have made. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we might stumble, that we can't stumble, that we can't fall. It doesn't mean, but what what does it mean? We've got to crucify the flesh once again. 
And we've got to turn our heart, turn our mind, turn our ways back to Jesus Christ. We must demonstrate the godly sorrow we say we have for our sin, church. We must produce fruit that is only produced in the soil of a broken and a contrite heart. Listen, if you and I are never broken by our sin, why would you walk away from it? If the sins that we commit don't grieve us, if the sins that we commit don't, don't, don't create a heaviness upon our heart, if they don't make us sick in our soul, why would we ever walk away? We cling to them, turn away from them. Listen, the reality is our sin has to grieve us as much as it grieves the Holy Spirit. Our sin has to grieve us as much as it grieves God. Our sin has to break our soul just like it breaks the heart of God. You see, you know the story of the prodigal son. Listen, it wasn't until his heart was broken that he made his way back to the father. It wasn't until he grieved over his condition that he left the pig pen behind. It wasn't until he was broken and contrite in the soil of his soul that he came to his senses and left the filth of his flesh in the pig pen of his life. And he made his way back to the Father. Listen to me. Unless you're willing to leave the fruit of your flesh in the pig pen, you will never sit at a banqueting table. You will never wear a robe of righteousness. You will never wear the Father's ring unless you grieve over the very thing that grieves the heart of God. I was going to sit here and be nice and calm tonight and kind of just teach you. But you know me. And I might just do that over the weeks. That's why that thing's sitting right there. But the reality is, Paul is trying to teach us how to bear fruit. It starts with repentance. It starts at Golgotha's Hill. It starts with uniting ourselves with the death of Jesus Christ. And when we are planted with Him, then we have the power to rise up. We don't have the power, but the power of the cross and the power of the Spirit and the power of heaven has the ability to work through our lives and bring forth fruit that we could never bring forth on our own. The power to bear fruit through Jesus Christ. Why do you think Paul was able to say, I am a new creation? Old things have passed away, all things have become new. Why? Because he was crucified with Christ. Because in Galatians 2.20, he said, It is no longer I that lives but Christ that lives within me. That's the only way you and I will ever bear fruit if Jesus is at the center of it all, just like we sang. The only way that you will ever bear the fruit of righteousness, the only way the fruit of the Spirit will ever be evident in your life is when Jesus is at the center of it all, when Jesus is in the, at the center of your thoughts, Jesus is at the center of your heart, Jesus is at the center of your conversation. The only way your marriage will ever bear the fruit of righteousness is when Jesus is planted right smack dab in the middle of your marriage. The only way the fruit of righteousness will ever, will ever rise up in your fatherhood and in your motherhood is if Jesus is right in the middle of it. The only way that the fruit of righteousness will ever rise up in your child's life is if you plant the seeds of Jesus 
in their life. Listen, not the seeds of condemnation, not the seeds of guilt. You see, you want to know why a lot of our children have not come to Christ? Because we've been planting seeds of guilt and shame and condemnation instead of the seeds of grace and mercy and Jesus Christ. You can't save them. Jesus can save them. My speeches can't save them. The cross of Jesus Christ is what saves them. You want to see your son saved? Want to see your daughter saved? Start sowing the seeds of salvation, of mercy and grace into their life. Let them see the fruit of righteousness in your own life instead of the fruit of hypocrisy. Our sons are looking at pornography. We're watching soap operas. Sons and daughter come home drunk, but we're sipping wine. We make excuses for the, the little things that we allow in our life, but we condemn the big things that take place in the lives of those around us. Listen, it's time for us to crucify our flesh and go to the cross and bury those things so that the fruit of righteousness can rise up in our lives. Listen, Paul's life was filled with the fruit of his repentance. His life was filled with the fruit of righteousness. His life was filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. No matter what lot he found himself in, found himself shipwrecked, the fruit of righteousness was manifested in his life. When he was beaten and whipped, found himself in a deep, dark prison cell. Think the fruit of bitterness? Think the fruit of anger? Think the fruit of wrath? Think, think the fruit of the flesh rose up in him? Ah, there he was in the middle of a prison cell. And the fruit of singing and the fruit of thanksgiving, the fruit of praise and worship began to well up within his soul. And it's what set him free, church. You understand what I'm saying? These are the things that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. If you want to be free... No matter what lot you find yourself in life, good or bad, listen, it's easy to sing when the sun is shining. It's easy to sing when the cool breeze is blowing by. It's easy to bear fruit when everything is the way we want it to be. But when hell breaks loose in our life, Jesus is asking. It's in those moments and at those times, are you barren or are you bearing? Are you bringing forth fruit or are you bringing forth filth? You see, I had to ask myself, and I'll just be transparent with you. During this building process, I'm telling you, there were times I was squeezed. There's times where the devil tried me and tested me and tempted me. There were times where gentleness, I should say gentle. was hard to bear. There were times when the fruit of the flesh wanted to reveal itself in my life. There were times that I did not want to be patient with a subcontractor or the contractor. There's times I didn't want to love like Jesus told me to love. But through it all, listen, I'm not saying I was perfect through this process, but I am telling you that every single day, I had to yield myself 
to the power of the Holy Spirit. There were times, and some can testify to this, that I had to walk away and go to my office so that I could cultivate the right fruit and the right spirit, so that I could go bury what was trying to rise up inside of me, whether it was an unkind word or a lack of gentleness, so I could go and bury it and put it where it belonged, so that in front of everybody, the contractors and the workers, in front of my family and friends and the church people, that they could see the fruit of the Spirit in my life and not the fruit of the flesh. And I'm not here boasting or bragging on me, but I'm telling you in the same way, every single day, you've got to do the same when the devil squeezes you when he squeezes you I gotta ask you is spiritual fruit juice coming out where's the filth of the flesh making its way to the surface that's how you can tell when things are right in your soul It's when you can tell that that you've been allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate something in you. It's when you're squeezed. What comes out? What comes out? And the reality is, listen, I know it might sound funny or entertaining, but the Holy Spirit desires for spiritual fruit juice to come out of our life every single day. When the boss is hard on your back, Spiritual fruit juice. When things aren't going like they should in the household, spiritual fruit juice. When the kids are in rebellion and they're trying you and testing you and they want to see what comes out, spiritual fruit juice. That's what it's going to take, church, for us to impact the world. It's what it's going to take for us to make a difference in the areas that God has placed us. Amen? Listen, the truth is God is looking for fruit. He's looking for evidence of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. You see, listen, Jesus didn't die for the fun of it. Jesus didn't go to Golgotha's hill for the fun of it. Well, I got nothing else to do, God. Jesus didn't have to demonstrate his love to his father. He went to Golgotha's hill to demonstrate his love for you and me. When we were fit to be tied up and sent to you know where... Jesus demonstrated his love towards us, church. You understand what I'm saying? And what Jesus is looking for, what God is looking for, is evidence that the wondrous work of Jesus Christ is doing something in our lives. Is the power of his resurrection manifested in you? Is it manifested in me? Do your neighbors see it? Does your wife see it? Do your children see it? Does the campus see it? Does the professor see it? Does the stranger see it? Does the checkout clerk see it? Do they see the fruit of the Spirit operating and being manifested in your life? Reality is, if they don't, we've got some work to do. Amen? We've got some work to do. Got some cultivating to do. It's important that we understand that the marks of true spirituality, the signs of spiritual maturity and growth, are found in the fruit that we bear, not just in the words that we share. You can talk all Christian all you want, but unless you start bearing fruit that's equal to that confession, those words don't mean diddly. Unless the life that we live measures up to the words that we speak, you understand, the words that we speak are powerless and meaningless and fruitless and empty. But when we begin to live up to the words that we speak, 
When the the fruit that we bear is consistent with our confession, church, then the power of His resurrection is loosed in our life. I hope you're getting this, church. The fruit of the Spirit is the sole evidence of our spiritual growth. The fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of righteousness is the sole evidence of our spiritual maturity, church. Listen, if there's no fruit in your life, there's no spiritual maturity in your life. If there's no fruit in your life... You need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ because He has called us to bear much fruit and fruit that will last. Listen, Jesus said in Matthew seven sixteen to 23, and I'll only read verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. By their fruit they will be easily identified. By their fruit you might be able to categorize them. By their fruit, you will know who they are. By their fruit, you will know who they belong to. You get where I'm going with this church? What Paul or what Jesus himself was saying that by their love, you'll recognize them. By their joy, by their peace, by their patience, by their kindness, by their goodness and faithfulness, by their gentleness and self-control. You will know them as my children. You see, what you and I need to understand tonight is that it is the fruit of the Holy, or that it is the fruit of the Spirit that sets us apart. It's the fruit of the Spirit that sets us apart from the world. It's the fruit of the Spirit that sets us apart from the carnal creature. It's the fruit of the Spirit that sets us apart from the, the wicked church. Listen. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say because all of these things that I'm about to share have a place in our lives and a a very important place in our lives. But it's not tongues that sets us apart from this world. It's not our charisma. It's not the clapping of our hands or the whoo, the dancing of our feet that set us apart. It's not our wisdom. It's not our knowledge, it's not our talents, it's not our skills. It is the fruit of the Spirit that sets us apart from the rest of this world. Because what's the Bible say? You could speak in tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have the fruit of love being manifested in your life, you ain't nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And you know what that means to God? It means you irritate him. It means you're nothing but a nuisance noise going on in his house. You see, you better be careful about speaking tongues in the presence of the king if you don't have the fruit of love being manifested in your life. You better be careful about all the charisma that you want to offer up to God if you don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit being manifested in your life because it's nothing more than foul fruit and God won't accept it. What He cares about is the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in your life. Because if you're going to speak in tongues, you better make sure that the fruit of the Spirit is equal to the tongues that you speak, the love that you share, the patience that you have, the peace and the joy and the gentleness that you demonstrate. Because the tongues you speak and the dance you dance and the clap you clap don't mean nothing to this world unless the fruit of the Spirit is tasteable to them. Understand what I'm saying. 
You see, in the Pentecostal church, we seem to get so wrapped up in the, in the gifts of the Spirit that we forget all about the fruits of the Spirit. We operate in the house of God and the gifts of the Spirit, but we're not willing to bear any fruit of the Spirit when we walk out the doors. And what that means to me and what that means to God is we're just making a bunch of noise in His house. we got to change that, church. Yes, He wants to see the power of the Spirit move in His house, but He wants to see the fruit of the Spirit being manifested at the same time. This is what he's called us to do. Bear much fruit is what Jesus said. That wasn't in my notes, but the Holy Spirit had me share that anyway. Jesus said in John 13, 35, They will know that you are my disciples by your love. I just shared that. Love is the the first fruit. Love is the all-encompassing fruit. It's why it's listed first. If you don't have love, you'll never have any other fruit in your life. It's the most important fruit. And they will know that you are my disciples by your love. Remember, the works of the flesh are obvious. And here Christ tells us that the fruit of the righteous, the fruit of the Spirit should be just as obvious in our lives. Somebody should just be able to look at you and hear us speak, talk, conduct ourselves, and know that we're a child of the King. They should be able to drive up next to us. Just sense. You've been there sometimes. You've... Walked up to individuals. He never spoke a single word to them. But you just sense something in their spirit. Something exuding from them. Some fruit hanging from their branches. You brother in the Lord? You Christian? Yeah, same. You understand what I'm saying. Why? It's because they're bearing some kind of fruit that you can taste. Some kind of fruit that you can smell. Some kind of fruit that you can feel. You don't even know them, but you know who they are because Jesus said you will know that they are my disciples. They will know that you are my disciples by your love. Listen, so the question is, what do people see when they look into our lives? Do they see the fruit of repentance? Do they see the the thistles and thorns of sin? Are love, joy, and peace and patience hanging from our branches? Or is the filth of the flesh hanging there instead? Jesus said in John 15, 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, proving yourselves to be my children by the fruit that you bear. Listen, two things. I want you to know that it makes heaven happy when you bear fruit. I want you to know that the Father is glorified when you and I bear fruit. I want you to know that it makes a difference in heaven. And in spiritual places, when you and I bear fruit, church, showing yourselves to be my disciples, and there's the key word, showing yourselves to be my disciples, which means there's other kind of disciples out there, amen? You see, you can either be a disciple of the world and a disciple of the devil, or you can be a disciple of this word and a disciple of Jesus Christ. If all you want to do is conform yourself to the ways of the world instead of the ways of God, you'll never bear fruit that will last. You'll never bear the fruit of righteousness. So the question is, when someone looks at us, church, when they look at our marriage, when they look at our attitudes, when they look at our lives, church, what do they see? Do they see the fruit of righteousness or do they see the the filthiness of our flesh? I'm going to start to wind this down. 
But Jesus said in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and fruit that will last. Fruit that will be a lasting representation of His wondrous work on the cross. Fruit that is obvious, even in the storm, even in the struggles, even in the trial, even in the tribulation, church. Fruit that is obvious even on dark days when the struggles of life press in and around you. Fruit that can even be seen and tasted when life presses you in on every side. The truth is God expects us to bear good fruit even in bad times. Amen? How many of you have been through some bad times? Had some bad days? Had some bad weeks? Had some bad months? Had some bad experiences? But in the midst of all of that, church, God is calling us to bear fruit. He has appointed us to bear fruit. Look, at Genesis 1.28, I'm going to start try winding this down. The very first command God speaks to His creation was what? It was to be fruitful. I'm showing you the importance of this thing of bearing fruit. The first command out of God's mouth towards His creation was to be fruitful the Bible says. But as you all well know, sin filled the earth and instead God wiped out his creation with the flood. What God was looking for, he couldn't find. What he was hoping to see, he couldn't find. So the Bible tells us, and you all know, he wiped it all out. Because the Bible tells us that every tree that fails to bear good fruit is cut down and destroyed. Amen? He he wiped out the earth because the fruit of righteousness could not be found on the face of the earth. I hope we let that sink in. Because the reality is God is looking for the fruit of righteousness in your life. He's looking for it at the workplace. He's looking for it in your house. He's looking for it in your marriage. He's looking for it. He appointed you to bear good fruit, church. And if you go on farther into some scriptures and you look at the passage about the vineyard owner who planted a fig tree in his garden, you find out a very similar thing where the gardener comes time and again, the Bible says, again and again he came, but he left disappointed. Why did he leave disappointed? Because he couldn't find one thing. He couldn't find fruit. Tree was there. Trunk was there, branches were there, leaves were there, a shape, a form of a tree was there, but the reason he planted it never came forth, and that was for fruit. Farmers don't plant fruit trees just so they can look pretty and smell pretty. Farmers plant fruit trees so they can pick fruit so they can make a profit. You understand what I'm saying? I hope you understand where I'm going with this. Jesus has planted you to bear fruit. He's planted you somewhere different than He's planted me. He's planted you in a different workplace, planted you in a different family, planted you in a different neighborhood, might have planted you in a different college, a different somewhere... He's appointed you to bear fruit in places I never can. You understand what I'm saying? I can't bear fruit in your house. I can't bear fruit in your workroom. I can't bear fruit in your neighborhood. That's your job. 
He has appointed us, the Bible says, to bear much fruit and fruit that will last. And here's what I'm closing with. Jesus didn't, God didn't appoint us or plan us in these places to just bring forth a little tiny piece of fruit. He said, I planted you to produce much fruit. Much fruit. Overflowing fruit. Obvious fruit. Abundant fruit. Not a lack of fruit. Listen, if someone has to take out a microscope to find the fruit of the Spirit in your life and my life, something's wrong. If somebody has to take out their binoculars to find the fruit of righteousness among God's people, something is spoiled in the soil of our soul. And we've got to get out our spiritual shovel and we need to start digging and cultivating Which leads me to my closing passage. Listen, I told you the story about the gardener that came time and again. And he left disappointed because he couldn't find fruit. Please understand, God gets disappointed when we don't bear fruit. God gets disappointed when he looks at your life and my life and he can't find the reason that he sent Jesus Christ was so that we could bear fruit and fruit that would last, church. But it leads me to this. Verse 7 tells us this. It says, The landowner says to the gardener concerning the tree which, in which he was disappointed, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Three years. For some of us, God's been waiting a lot longer. For some of us, God's been waiting just a week or two or a day or two. Some of us, God's been waiting quite a while for us to bear the fruit that he's called us to bear. Some of us have yet to bear fruit in our workplace. Some of us have yet, 10 years on the job, never even mentioned the name Jesus Christ. He's waiting for us, church, to bear fruit. Three years I've waited and there hasn't been a single fig. The owner says, cut it down because it's taking up space we can use for something else. I hope that's never us, church that we would so disappoint God for the lack of fruit that we're bearing in our life that He would say, it's time for me to push them aside so someone else can bear fruit. We don't think God would do that, but God will, church. Push us aside, listen, until we're broken. But push us aside until we grieve. But push us aside until, like the prodigal son, we come to our senses and say, I've been doing something wrong here. I've been bearing the wrong fruit. And then God in His infinite mercy, God in His infinite grace, will do whatever He needs to to bring us back. But here's what it says. Listen, that's not what I'm closing with. The gardener answered, Give it one more chance. Leave it one more year and I'll give it special attention plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And the reality is there's some of us that need to pay special attention tonight to the soil of our soul. There's some of us that have not been fruit bearers. And we've got to be willing to say the same thing to God tonight. God, give me another chance. I'll pay special attention to the soil of my soul. I'll pay 
special attention, listen, to the seed of salvation that you have imparted in my life. Every time you hear this, it's a seed of salvation. Every time you hear the word of God, every time it's spoken into your life, God is making an investment in you and he's waiting for fruit to come forth. And tonight he's saying, there's some here that need to say, God, I'm going to pay special attention to this seed of salvation, to the soil of my soul for one reason and one reason only, so that I can bear fruit and fruit that will last. How many of you want to bear good fruit to the glory of the Father tonight, church? If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet because that's really where I'm going to leave it. You see, if your desire is to glorify the Father, if your desire is to put a smile on God's face, if your desire is to make heaven happy tonight, then you and I know what we need to do. We've got to cultivate the soil of our soul, amen? We've got to do a little bit of work deep down inside and say, God, you know, there might be some things that I need to take out and definitely some things you need to put in, amen? So I'm just going to ask that we pray that together. I'm going to ask the prayer team that might be here to come forward. If you have a special prayer, a special need, if you're convicted over some things that you know you've got to get rid of in your life, it doesn't have to be a filthy sin. But if you know tonight, especially tonight, God, I really need a breakthrough. I really need you to dig a little bit deeper so I can bear the fruit that you want. We're, that's why they're here tonight, to agree with you, pray with you. If you have a special need and you need God to intervene, might not have anything to do with fruit, but that's why they're here tonight. But as I pray and he plays, we're just going to give ourselves to God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this evening, God.